Hello and welcome to the EC Method podcast. I am Emma Story Gordon. And I am Chloe Maidley. Oh, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, but then we don't know what to say after. And here is today, this week's podcast, where we do like several a week, so. <laughs> I know. It's because we have so many questions. Yeah, we we, have, we get a lot of questions that's really hard to get through them in the time that we want. We all, I, Emma and I both agreed that we don't like podcasts that go on up like longer than an hour because A, who has the time? Although I suppose in quarantine, everyone has the time. <laughs> but it's like just gets a little bit like monotonous. So we try and keep it under an hour. But my God, we have quite a few questions to get through every week. Yeah, I think the problem is people have more time, but the, your attention span is still the same. Yeah, yeah. True. So no one's really going to pay attention for more than an hour. Plus, we're probably not either. I'm actually, I'm going to be honest, I've been working from home for eight years and obviously work has slowed down significantly and I am I have lost them and continuing to lose a significant amount of my income. However, I will say I'm still as busy as I've ever been, if not busier. Mm-hmm. Like even the days where I think I have nothing to do, I'm busy with like absolutely nothing. And before I know it, it's four o'clock and I haven't sat down. I'm like, what am I even doing? <laughs> It's good though, isn't it? And I think you're the kind of person that even if you have nothing to do or or when you have nothing to do, you're like, right, next project, what else can I do? Yeah, we're both like that. Yeah, I think a lot of people in our industry are like that, like annoyingly proactive and like stress ourselves out. Actually, you're really good with stress. I stress myself out way too much. Anyone who follows me on social media will probably have picked up on that. (laughs) I am going to send you a link after this to a... I think it's it is a YouTube video but it's about this woman's research all about stress and how we perceive it and how actually it can be like a really motivating thing or it can be something that so basically it can be something that improves your performance or reduces your performance depending on how you perceive it yeah so perceived stress because I've heard about it but send me the link because I haven't seen it um but I've heard people talking about this before and yeah I this is what so I did a course like a it's like a kind of like a therapy course called the landmark forum i'm sure loads of people have heard of it it's quite famous um and i did it mainly because i had a week of nothing one summer i was in the uk everyone i knew was away including my husband i had nothing to do and i was like i'll do the landmark forum and see what all the fuss is about someone else actually a very well-known bodybuilder recommended that i try and they call it your winning formula and like your winning formula is the thing that you can think of about yourself that makes you really successful in life but more often than not eventually it will end up basically becoming the undoing of you and for me it's definitely stress levels um like it pushes me to work really hard but then by the end of it I burn like I've had burnout twice now and I'm like I'm childless and 32 like I shouldn't (laughs) have had burnout like it makes no sense but I just drive myself mad anyway I then suddenly am aware that now we're banging on about stuff and we have questions to answer I know but it's interesting what so this course sort of helps you identify what it is about you that is like the best thing but potentially also what's gonna yeah so basically it's like a group therapy course and it lasts a week and it's called the landmark forum and it's quite intense like it's you and I think I don't really remember how many people on my course but I think it was about 100 and you go in and you basically just like go through like the motions of childhood through to basically your whole life and then where you are now and all the things some people go because they have real issues like traumatic things have happened to them or they have developed some kind of um psychosis or trauma in their adult life anyway and some people go 
really just kind of out of curiosity to see if it can help them. Some people go to see if it can help their business or like their communication skills with their husband or whatever. Um, it's like a really big spectrum of people. But it is like quite intense therapy. And essentially, the last few days, uh, they basically force you and with their help, they're all like qualified therapists. They force you to fucking sort your shit out so that when you leave, you leave with some new tools and kind of some new perspectives. And it was really good. I'm not going to lie. It's really good. But um, but yeah, it, that was the one thing I, I really took away from it was the winning formula thing. And I look at everybody I know who's successful and it's completely true. The same thing that makes them, like including James, like he's a professional athlete. He's so, I love him. Obviously, I married him. He's the most selfish person I've ever met. And that is why he's so successful. But it's also why he struggles sometimes in certain environments, like social environments and, and like family and, and stuff like that. It's so interesting, honestly. But yeah, it sounds like there's a bit of crossover there, but definitely some me that link yeah that is so interesting so this um this is kind of less about that although now I'm quite fascinated by that but it's basically how you look at stress so she gives you like three points and one is to acknowledge stress and be present to what it is and what's making you feel that way and then the second is to welcome stress and and sort of appreciate that you're stressed because you have something that you're stressed about or that you care about and yeah. and see that more as like an, an opportunity to connect with your values than something that's stressing you out. So being stressed would normally this. mean that there is something that's important to you. There's something worth having. There's something worth working towards. Like, let's say you're stressed because you've got hundreds of clients you need to check in. Okay, well, that's actually a good thing, isn't it? Because your business is booming. Yeah. So yeah. it's sort of changing the way that you look at it and you're stressed because you care about getting back to everyone because you're passionate about what you do and you want them to do well. Yeah, and then in turn, if you feel that way about what you do, you're more likely to feel fulfilled by what you do in your life, which is, you know, the holy grail. I love this. You've got to send me this link. I need to watch this. I will send it. You'll love it because it's not just like, I think you're a bit like me. Like sometimes people talk about this stuff and I'm like, oh, it's a bit wishy-washy. <laughs> yeah. But this is, it's been studied and some of the studies are so cool and you're like, wow, like you can see that it works in in that like research environment as well. I love, well, so what, my best friend is a, is a therapist. She's amazing. And she, uh, I, she basically made me go for, to CBT when I was in my 20s, my anxiety. And CBT didn't really work on me. It's like you, you go like eight sessions and it's basically, yeah, behavioral ways to tackle your anxiety, like breathing or tapping or whatever. But the one thing I will say did help is being like just acceptance, like, okay, I feel anxious. And then just carry on instead of being like, oh, my God, panicking about the fact that you feel anxious, which then will like, well, for me, push you way over the edge. Um, Yeah, I I find it really interesting. I think um, I I do think that actually all of our listeners could probably benefit from looking into some of this stuff, too, because it's. um, Yeah, I'll post it. I'll post it in the in the group. But it's funny that you should say that because that's exactly how she starts. She starts by saying gives you an example of like okay so everyone tells us that stress is bad so when you feel stressed you're like oh that's a bad thing I want to stop feeling stressed and then you're stressed about feeling stressed which makes you more stressed so it's like this vicious cycle and I guess it's the same with anxiety it's like oh I feel anxious which is making me more anxious yeah and then that's just like a progressive thing and uh, yeah like this feeling of like well for me it was also like this feeling of like self self 
hatred that I was so anxious and I didn't want to be that quote unquote that person and uh, yeah you're right it's like a vicious cycle and like down you go down you go now I'm completely on top of my anxiety like I still have moments but it's like circumstantial so it's genuinely if something very stressful or overwhelming happens I'll, I'll obviously react to it quite strongly but I used to have it all day every day literally it was so bad in my 20s and now I rarely if ever have an anxiety attack like it almost never happens so it does help like actually doing some research and reading talking to to professionals about it looking into it 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 is a slow process much like what we're doing with our clients but it you do benefit from it in the long term I'm so happy that I was like and always have been quite proactive about it Mm -hmm. yeah that's so important I think a lot of people like well I'm anxious it's just part of my personality and you're like you don't always have to feel like that but it does take a hell of a lot of work and effort from you not to yeah. yeah even now like, even I have therapy like all the time still and before every therapy session I'm like I really can't be bothered and the reason I can't be bothered is it's hard bloody work like it's really mm-hmm. difficult um anyway right let's crack on with the questions yeah okay nine minutes in first question here we go <laughs> okay this one says I am doing three times body weight sessions and three runs per week these are part of a prescribed physio program to rebuild my running when uh, then I'm walking every day. I don't run. Would I be better off doing five body weight sessions for fat loss? And what is the science behind this? Um, so, well, first point, if you've been prescribed it by a physio or a coach who's really looking after your main goal, which is running, you should do exactly what they tell you, which sounds like you already are. So essentially don't change it. Uh, second point, um, there's so... <sighs> In, okay, so fat loss comes down to calories burned, as we keep talking about. It's, it's a, being in a negative uh, energy balance, which means that you are eating less calories via food than your body is using via A, living, B, moving, and C, um, exercise activity. And if you're in a negative energy balance, uh, so you're consuming less than your body needs to complete the, the, the three I've just mentioned, then you're going to start to lose fat. Now, the reason why Emma and I don't just say to everybody, go for a run six days a week, which of course is activity and will burn calories. So, you know, technically it ticks boxes is because we actually want you guys to uh, not only become cardiovascularly fit with the circuits that we give you, but also get your resistance training in. And that is essentially using your muscle um, against gravity in this format, or, you know, it can be used with um, external additional weight if you were weightlifting, for example. Um, Because A, that's going to help you build and or hold on to your current muscle mass, um, which is in turn going to increase your metabolic rate because muscle, like every other tissue on the body, needs calories to sustain itself. Um, And also because generally speaking, 99.9% of our clients want to look quote unquote toned, toning isn't a real thing, but part of quote unquote toning is having muscle mass uh, and you're not going to build that really by running obviously some areas of your body uh, will probably uh, to a degree um, but you're going to do that with resistance training um, there's quite a bitty answer but I hope I kind of summed it up Emma yeah I think you nailed that uh, one thing I'm gonna add just because we're talking about toning or looking lean is a quote that I would never say because it's quite harsh but I find it quite hilarious and is kind of spot on. So have you heard of um, Polly Norden? No. 
no so she's i think she's swedish or something but she's like a very hard trainer online and is like sort of she's a bit like paleo i think and anyway one thing she says which i just find hilarious is if you don't lift weights you just become a skinny version of your fat self (laughs) that's harsh but amazing yeah (laughs) i was like it's so harsh but you know sometimes you kind of wish you could say something like that without like yeah we would never say that but (laughs) we can quote someone else saying that but basically what she means by that is if you don't build muscle you won't have that nice strong toned physique that you're looking for you'll have like I think we can say skinny fat and most people will resonate with what I mean there it's just yeah you still don't look very toned and and more importantly than just how you look you're actually less healthy if you don't have some strength as well yes exactly like being cardiovascularly fit and having an increased muscle mass or kind of you know a, a kind of good amount of muscle um is both are both just as beneficial as each other when it comes to being fit and healthy in terms of your life and the long term like you know disease prevention etc cetera, etc cetera agreed right next question so this goes on a little bit but to paraphrase it is this woman's lost a lot of weight which is awesome well done but she's saying how do you stay motivated once you sort of get to a point where maybe you don't want to lose weight anymore yeah so this is where emma actually talked about this on i think our very first episode of the podcast and it stuck with me and it's something that i have repeated um of hers for ever since um there is always a reason to get up and exercise um in whatever modality you choose that day switching up is probably beneficial so in whatever way you choose to do it um if it's not about i want to lose weight uh well okay if it's not about i want to lose weight i want to have abs i want to fit into this i want to feel good in my own skin i want to look good naked blah 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 then it should actually be about i want to be fit i want to be strong i want to be healthy i want to be capable to do the things going into middle age and old age that i want to do and as emma once said you know like get up and go to the toilet without needing help um obviously there have been some really phenomenal studies on as i've just mentioned uh cardiovascular fitness and increased muscle mass and disease prevention and uh the ability to recover from um diseases that you know i mean look at what's going on right now with the covid19 and the coronavirus um if you are fit and strong and healthy your ability to recover from a potentially life-threatening illness um skyrockets uh if you are not um it plummets um there's always a reason there's always a motivation to get up and get moving and it doesn't have to be a killer hit session like i've done you know i would say probably about 80 percent of the workouts that emma and i are giving you sometimes i'll do something different in my gym but i more often than not like to try the workouts i give people and sometimes i'm having like a like a low energy day or like recently I've been a bit coldy and not feeling that great. Um, and you don't have to kind of throw yourself into hell and, you know, want to vomit into a bucket and sweat yourself into oblivion just to get fit and active and moving. You can actually just slow things down. But the important thing is, is that you move your body regularly uh, throughout your life and, and try and keep it, try and keep it kind of optimally fit and healthy. Yeah. I agree. I think there's so many reasons to exercise beyond fat loss, be that health, physical and mental, or just because you enjoy it is fine as well. What tends to happen is that most people, when they lose a lot of weight, 
in the process of that kind of fall in love with the lifestyle that they've created and how exercise makes them feel um, and then when you're looking at other goals it could be okay well you know I never thought I'd lose this much weight but I also never thought I'd be able to do 10 push-ups or a pull-up or you know it could be anything and, and then maybe move your goals more towards performance goals yeah and and thinking about like the amazing things that your body can achieve now that you've lost its weight rather than oh how can I lose more and more weight because I do get like this question it, it kind of resonates with me and I'm sure you've had it with so many clients as well that their goal has always been weight loss and then it's quite hard to change that goal so like if the goal is always oh I want to see the scales go down and then they stop going down because you've lost the amount of weight that you needed to lose and now you're a healthy weight it can be quite hard to switch that like mentality to different goals yeah this and and that's completely accurate and it's also I tend to find with my clients who then do manage to switch it more often than not they'll see a female weightlifter or powerlifter, a girl with a lot of muscle or a girl like clean and pressing a ridiculous amount of weight. And they think that looks cool. I'd quite like to do that. And then that I tend to find that with most of my clients, that's when this new shift happens. They actually start training properly, properly, properly with weights in the gym. Um, and they actually start getting excited about even coming out of a fat loss phase, going into a maintenance or surplus to get stronger, to get more muscle mass or whatever. Um, for me personally, I stay motivated year round after eight and a half years because uh, my goals are cyclical. So I have times of the year where my goals are uh, either hypertrophy, so gaining muscle, or they're performance-based. I want to get stronger in the gym. I want to do some really cool shit. Um, or then, you know, right off the back of that, usually comes with some increased fat, fat gain. And then I'm like, okay, and then it switches back to fat loss, and round and round I go. And that keeps me uh, feeling very motivated, uh, metabolically sound, because I'm not constantly in a fat loss phase, and I actually do focus on growing muscle and being in a surplus at other times of the year um, and really enjoying my training because getting fitter and getting stronger means you can do more and you can try more that you couldn't do two years ago you know so I would say think about it cyclically don't be scared to switch up your goal for a while you can always go back to fat loss if you want um, but give yourself something new yeah makes it much more exciting doesn't it yeah okay next question um okay this is I feel oh sorry I feel that when I finish meals, I'm still hungry, even though I've eaten enough. I do have PCOS and I think some level of insulin resistance, but it's like I don't have a full switch. Thoughts? Um, thoughts are this is really common when it comes to uh, reducing your calories, uh, being in an effective fat loss phase, is that, uh, as we've talked about before, it has a knock-on effect on your hormones and metabolism, and your leptin and ghrelin levels can be thrown out of whack, uh, which is uh, how hungry you are and how satiated you feel after you've eaten. Um, it's very, very normal. Now, this is uh, the piece of advice I'm about to give you two pieces of advice I'm about to give you, um, are very frowned upon because, you know, we all know about those really fucked up weird eating disorder sites that have tips and tricks on basically how to stay in your eating disorder, which is awful. Um, and that is not what Emma and I promote at all. Um, I don't think I've ever dropped a client lower than 1200 calories and that client was particularly tiny and petite. Um, I think I've had two or three times that's had to happen. Um, and even then they were in that 
kind of calorie deficit, which is very low for a female for a period of weeks before we then took them out of it. So I want to be very clear that I do not promote that kind of thing. However, making sure that you're hydrated enough and you're drinking enough water before, during and after your meals can help with feelings of satiety in a fat loss phase. And as always, like Emma and I always said, having a high protein intake is also going to do that. And as I always say as well, having a high fiber intake, which is veg, veg and more veg, um, is not only going to give you a bigger meal to eat, but it is also going to increase your feelings of satiety after um, and just throughout the day. So I would say really focus on those things. Um, and that would be my advice. And again, as we said in the last podcast, sometimes hunger, as uncomfortable as it can make you feel, sometimes it's actually quite a good sign that the fat loss phase is working. And I would say more often than not, it is temporary. And at some point your body will readjust and restabilize and you'll probably be fine for another couple of weeks before you experience that kind of feeling again. Um, but those would be my thoughts, Emma. Yes, I agree. I think given this situation as well, you will, your hunger levels will reduce. And the reason for that is that PCOS does uh, mean that you often have higher levels of insulin resistance, mm -hmm. um, which, and uh, many people don't think of insulin like this, but the presence of insulin actually turns off hunger. So if you don't have much sensitivity to the presence of insulin, it's like your hunger can't hear that there's insulin there and should be should be turned down if that makes any sense so that's why insulin resistance is related to increased hunger and thus like increased weight gain in in females with pcos but what what we do know is that resistance training and losing excess body fat increases insulin sensitivity mm -hmm. so if that is one of the reasons that you're feeling hungry is that you're not that sensitive to insulin that will change as you lose weight and as you start resistance training so i think for me anyway things like this like if i understand the process it's a little bit easier and knowing that you won't be hungry forever again makes it a little bit easier because there's nothing more daunting than thinking oh, i'm always hungry now and it's only going to get harder because the diet will be longer that's not the case as you become leaner you resistance train more this hunger should reduce yeah and i i mean I have PCOS too, and I will just say that, of course, it's something that you need to be aware of and you need to understand and keep in mind, but it is not the reason why you can't change your body or get in shape because Emma is completely right. Once you understand it, you can figure out the route that is going to be um, the most effective for you personally. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and there's like proof, like Chloe has PCOS. A lot of my friends, well, a lot quite a high number of my friends do partly because women with PCOS tend to be able to build muscle better or quicker mm. maybe not quick, quicker but they have a more like sort of anabolic hormones flying around um mm. and obviously I am any friends with people who have a lot of muscle mass so <laughs> No, I was trying to think Makes where I was going with the, why my friends, but then it's, I think just like obviously women who are into fitness. Just, yeah, you just have first-hand experience with the fact that while it might be a factor that you really do have to implement into your quote-unquote journey, um, it's not it's not a barricade on the journey, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It might be a little bit harder at the moment, but it won't be forever. There are some positives as well, and it's just something that you can absolutely work around. So next question. Okay, this is quite a good one. 
I'm calorie counting and doing the workouts, but I'm not seeing a change yet. Am I doing something wrong? Um, well, how many weeks in are we? Four. Um, right, okay. So what I tend to like to do with clients is um, the first thing I say to them is, number one, look at your uh, food intake throughout the day, week. Are you actually adhering? Are you actually having the calories that you think you're having? So, for example, you could be putting something on something or using an ingredient or using a sauce or something that you aren't realizing is um actually pulling you out of your daily deficit and uh, people might be like oh you'd have to be so stupid for that to happen but that happens all the time um the second thing if they're like no everything's right everything's like completely tracked like down to the t i would say are you having or have you had in the last four weeks of doing this plan any blowouts if you have had any blowouts it can take a minute to catch up to you but it it's going to probably catch up. Um, so there's that. Um, and then I would say, if you're going to say, no, you haven't done that, I would say to you, um, consistently over four weeks, not not seeing any results, then obviously things like uh, fiber or sodium intake aren't going to be the consistent thing that's throwing your weigh-ins off. Uh, if you have a crazy weigh-in, then sometimes I will ask about fiber and sodium um, or sleep. Um, but if it's consistent, then I would say, okay, you're not in a calorie deficit. So via fats and or carbs, either or, I would decrease um, anywhere between 100 to 150 uh, calories and uh, give it a week or two crack on and go again and see how you respond then or I would simply add a little bit of time onto your workouts if you're typically training 30 minutes a, a day I would add five minutes on which would you know for our kind of circuits be like another just another addition of a circuit um, and see how you crack on but either way you need to in- you, you need to increase your calorie deficit um, and that's typically where I tend to go with clients Emma yeah, I agree. Sort of hit all the box. So could it be that you're not being consistent? So have you really been sticking to this on average over time? Or have there been a couple of days here and there that you've eaten more and you've not really accounted for that? Could there be ways that calories are, cre- are creeping in? Again, like Chloe was saying, oh, you know, of course, I know that I'm tracking accurately. It's really hard to track accurately. And there's been studies that show that even dietitians can't track accurately. So <laughs> that's not to put you off tracking that's just to say that these errors can creep in even if you are very meticulous so just make sure that you're tracking things like condiments and you know a double portion of condiments with every meal could easily put you out of your deficit Mm -hmm. um and then maybe look as well if you have had a really active job and now you're in lockdown and you're working from home has your neat gone down What's your step count? Are you much less active now? There could be loads of little things. So first I would really look at your last couple of weeks and see if you've really been consistent. And then if you're sure that you have, then find a way of creating a bigger deficit. So that's either by eating less, moving more, or a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay, this will be a quick one. Is there a difference between diet way and normal way? As I have heard that there isn't and they just use it as a marketing tool. However, I do use PhD diet way. Um, yes and no. I mean, no, essentially. Like a whey protein powder is a whey protein powder. Um, whey protein isolate um, tends to be uh, a little bit better uh, quality and um, it's kind of the way that it's processed is better for people who have lactose issues. Um, but anyway, a whey protein is a whey protein. 
usually when they throw the word diet on there, um, it is because they've added something in, you know, some kind of non orange <laughs> peel extract yeah or yeah something like, or like, or like some kind of pepper you know some kind of non really effective you know uh ingredient that they can say well you know it might increase your thermogenesis or whatever and and therefore it's diet no i mean so essentially no <laughs> yeah i think it is a dieting tool like sorry a marketing, a marketing tool, tool because some yeah. people are like oh this is diet that's for me then um, and and there's still that, especially among women, that like preconceived idea that protein is only for men and that, oh, if this is like a diet one, then that's okay for me. But otherwise, it's just going to make me have loads of big muscles and turn into a bodybuilder. So I don't know if it's partly that. And then I did hear something, although, oh, maybe this was meal replacements. I think it was meal replacements. But basically, if you call a supplement a meal replacement, there's less tax on it there's more tax on supplements or something oh yeah well that would make sense actually yeah a lot of people would or a lot of companies were sort of trying to get around things by calling them different names but actually that isn't what's happening here but I think it is more of just a marketing tool I think it's a marketing tool but I don't think it's necessarily a negative marketing tool because now let me explain why it it is a marketing tool in that there's nothing diet about the way, but it is actually kind of a, a great big stamp indication that this is not like a mass gainer protein powder, or this is not like, you know, some kind of uh, energy specific protein powder. Do you know what I mean? As in like a really like higher carbs. And I mean, so yes, it's a marketing tool, but it's also a nice kind of a very easy indication to just play it safe, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, and if, do you know what? If it means that women are going to have protein, then great. Yeah. Need to put diet on it, great. <laughs> okay, next question. Coping mechanisms or tips on how to manage yourself around food in the house that is meant for others. For example, children's Easter eggs or food uh, food bought as treats. Um, this is a really good question and this is when it actually really just comes down to willpower and the point that Emma made a couple of podcasts ago, um, which sounds like it sounds really wanky, but I swear to God, we both know we have experience with it personally and professionally. This is true. Willpower is really like another muscle. Uh, the more that you utilize it, the more that you say no, the easier the habit of saying no to kind of those like trigger foods becomes. Um, and also, the more that you can say no and actually see the results that you're working hard to get, um, which let's face it, you know, the hardest work you're going to do is with food intake and is being in the kitchen and is having kids with Easter eggs in the house and all that stuff. Um, but the more that you start to see the, re- the results that you're putting that really hard work in to get, the easier and easier it becomes to keep saying no. Um, and there will be a point on route, you know, I always say this as well to my clients, you're not going to be dieting forever and you're not going to be dieting day in, day out for the rest of your life. Really, it's kind of a means to an end. You know, we put you in a calorie deficit, you get your results and slowly, slowly, gradually over the period of the next few weeks or months after that, after you've achieved success, we slowly start to implement some of these things back in, you know, fewer and far between than potentially they were before. But you're not going to be, you're not going to have to say no to Easter eggs forever and ever and ever and you're never going to have one again. It's temporary. So right now, say no, put in the work and you'll see the results you'll see the results you'll be motivated to keep saying no and keep telling yourself that it's not going anywhere this isn't a prison sentence there is going to come a day where you can have an easter egg again yeah i agree and i think looking at it from the perspective of 
it's not i think when you put i can't have this on something you immediately want it whereas if you just say at the moment eating an easter egg doesn't fit with my goals Mm. if i want it later probably by the time easter eggs aren't being sold in the shops anymore which is convenient then i can have it then but but yeah i think not putting it as a like a big i'll never go into that cupboard because that's where these things are that's what that's what makes this like a short-term fix if you just think right after the eight weeks fine i can eat what i want then it's well no the whole point is to maintain that which doesn't mean you can't ever have it but it does mean that maybe now isn't appropriate time or that you would have to have a smaller portion of it or that you fit it into your calories if that is that is really your choice of like treat that week is that you want to eat a full easter egg cool fit it in your calories but know that it'll have consequences as to what else you can eat as well I mean, how much is a whole Easter? Like a whole one must be about what four hundred calories, five hundred. It's quite a lot. It, do you know it? what I find weird? Like I think, I think when I looked it up, it seems more calories than you would expect from the chocolate. I feel like there's something about. Well, maybe this actually answers my lifelong question I have about Easter eggs. I feel like there's some reason why Easter eggs taste better than any other chocolate. And the only <laughs> conclusion I can come to is that it's got something to do with how they keep that shape. Because there's nothing inside it. Like, it's keeping its shape quite well. Like, maybe there's an, maybe they've changed <laughs> the makeup. I, um, I don't know what I'm I trying think to say. It's, do you think it's because it's, like, thinner chocolate? I don't know, but it is like the biggest countdown conundrum I've had to live with my whole life is like, why are chocolate shapes like Santas and bunnies and eggs so much better than they just like... They do taste better, especially like the, the Santa that you like can like just bite the head off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're hollow. Them. Like, I don't know why they taste better, but they do. They do. Well, anyway, all I'm saying is that if you can get like, let's say, for example, a smaller Easter egg, which is, let's say, for example, 400 calories and have half of it, that's 200 calories. Obviously, 200 calories from half an Easter egg is not ideal in terms of hunger and satiety and, you know, being nutritionally health minded. But you know, hey, if it's going to help you feel like you're scratching that itch and you're on and, you know, you're kind of able to adhere to the diet and without going crazy and binge eating seven Easter eggs, then I would say do it. Yeah, I agree. And if the rest of your diet that day is made up of like high protein, lots of veg and things, then, you know, having 200 calories of Easter egg isn't the end of the world. True. Okay. Um, sorry, long pause. Okay, here we go. As a veggie, I've been struggling to get my protein during lunch and dinner, and instead I have been focusing on protein shakes or high-protein breakfast to get in my protein. Do you have any recommendations for real foods rather than shakes and bars options to increase protein intake? Yeah, I mean, first of all, make sure that you're looking at the meal plans, but first the initial one and then the subsequent ones I'm doing every week because I put in high protein um, 
vegan and vegetarian meals in there every single week. Um, and someone actually asked for a recipe that was in there the other day. And I was like, I'm not sure everyone's looking at them. So I would say it is, Emma's noted this on the Facebook page before, it is harder for vegans and vegetarians to get their protein in. It just is. Um, it's hard enough for, for, you know, meat eaters to get it in. So it, you know, you're taking away a very easy source of protein and, and you might struggle. Um, Shakes and bars are great for you guys, but also vegan corn. It's called mycoprotein, but it's a complete source of protein. Um, and it's a way to have like big savory meals that have complete protein in them. Um, and also tofu, uh, tofu, you know, any kind of soy product at all, any soy, that is a complete protein. And that is a great way to get it in. Um, when you then start, so after kind of corn and tofu, um, there then you and kind of uh, protein supplements powders and bars and stuff uh, then you start to have to look at combinations to get your complete proteins in and that would be things like whole grains and like legumes so like rice and beans now that's great because it forms a complete uh, an essential amino acid however obviously you're going to start to see your carbohydrate carbohydrate intake skyrocket as well um so if you do go down that path that's fine just be very minded in terms of the amount you're using and you're tracking hopefully i would hope that if you were going to start doing those combinations that you track as well um and that is all the advice i would give but i think even in this week's one like last week i think i had a tofu scramble in there this week i think i've got a corn like um almost like a stew uh yeah, so look at the meal plans. Emma? They sound good. Thanks, babes. The only <laughs> thing I would add is Linda McCartney sausages. <laughs> is that complete protein? I don't know, but it's decent protein per sausage. I'll just go for it. I'm not sure what it's made of. Probably mycoprotein. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, next Maybe. question. Okay, fine. I Sorry. like to sit in front of the TV at night and mindlessly eat this is my worst habit do you have any tips okay so two options for you i would say either implement a um time restricted uh feeding window this is like um the kind of rookiest form of fasting that there is um in an ideal world you would say uh from some point in the evening to some point in the morning you stop eating and you fast um so a really good thing for you to do would be like from a 7 p.m to a 7 a.m i'm not eating the kitchen is closed that's it done and that's really helpful to people who mindlessly eat at night uh which i think is the majority of us so you're not alone um the second option, uh, well, actually, there's three options. Here. The second option is that you eat very um, sparsely throughout the day. Again, ideally, like getting in your protein and your veg at breakfast and lunch. Um, but then at dinner, you have more calories left over. Or in the evening, you have more calories left over to eat either a bigger dinner, which makes you feel more full, or a more bitty dinner, which makes you feel like you're grazing. Um, so think about banking calories for the PM. And the last thing I would say to you is um, feel free to snack, but choose lower calorie options. So for example, um, Lodo is something that people are talking about. You can get it online. Someone says it's in Sainsbury's. It's like 70 calories for these two huge flatbreads. And you can just dip them in something like a Dorito salsa, for example, which is like five calories per like, you know, tablespoon. It's nothing. And you would be pretty full and be able to graze on that for a, a, a good amount of time. Um, 
without blowing your calories out the water at all. So you're just choosing more calorie appropriate things to snack on. Those are your three options. Um, and I would say figure out which one suits you best. Emma? Those are great options. I was just going to say, like, basically, I would probably the first option would be my go to for most people, which would just be have a nice dinner. And then, as Chloe says, like the kitchen is shut. You don't you do not eat after dinner. And one easy way to do that is like after dinner to maybe like have a cup of tea and that signals the end or a cup of mint tea is quite good because then Mm. nothing tastes good after mint. Or you can go and brush your teeth and just be like, okay, well, that's me sort of ready for bed. I might watch TV or do whatever, but no more eating happens today. And I think that's quite a good one. But those that Lodo thing sounds quite good. I think on nights where, let's say you do that every night of the week, but then on Friday night, you all watch a film and you're having snacks, but maybe you have, you know, more calorie friendly snacks. Yeah, I think actually a really good tip that Emma just said that I'd never thought of that I actually do and obviously don't do consciously but do is after dinner every night I'll make myself a protein mug cake with like a big tablespoon of halo top ice cream and all in all it's usually about 200 calories right and I do every single night I do it before bed and it does genuinely signal to me that that's my last meal of the day it's what I do every day like it's my last meal of the day and that's it um and it definitely is like a psychological pattern habit and acceptance so I think that's really good advice have something that you know that's it it's your last meal of the day and 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 maybe you actually can implement some kind of uh ongoing habit with that yeah I think it's about creating that habit and then just like trusting yourself that okay well that's that fine I'll be able to eat tomorrow. Like, cool. Yeah. Okay, next question. At what point do you decide you need to maintain your weight? I'm not close yet, but I'm just wondering, uh, would it be by a healthy weight for me on a BMI BMI scale? Is this accurate and what is healthy? Um, I, I I really think it's subjective to you. I don't mean to be ambiguous, but I think I know when I'm, say if I've got a photo shoot, I know that I have to get pretty, pretty lean, you know, like doing quote unquote fitness modeling, that <laughs> um, it's like, it's it's no joke. And I know when I have to get like pretty lean, but when I look in the mirror and I'm really happy with what I see and I know that I'm, I've been pushing and I'm still pushing to be there, that's when I start to think, okay, now I can slowly start to reverse diet, hope to maintain where I'm at for a while you know, for the shoot, for everything and, and work my way back up. But that's going to be subjective to everybody. If I wasn't fitness modeling, my my kind of point where I would reach where I felt that way would probably be a few weeks before then. Um, and if I was getting on stage and competing, it would probably not be until a few weeks after then because that's a whole other level of lean. Um, you know, it's it's really subjective to you. You know, when do you look in the mirror or where, you know, put your clothes on or whatever and feel like you're your best self. I mean, I hate that, but genuinely, like when, um, it's really subjective to you. We can't tell you when, when you're going to be happy with, with how you a look and b feel. Um, that is really up to you, Emma. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think a lot of people have this idea of, of a weight, like a goal weight, but they don't know how they're going to look and feel at that weight. They don't know if actually that you know, it tends to be something like, oh, when I was 21, I weighed this much, I felt great. And your whole (laughs) lifestyle has changed now. So 
it might not be feasible to maintain that weight with your current lifestyle or even a you know some compromise obviously has to be made if you were going to lose weight but it should be a compromise not like a dictatorship of that shouldn't have to prioritize everything so it's going to be not just how you look and feel but also what sort of fits into to the way you live at the moment and what exercise and activity and how you want to eat and if that needs to be with your family and and if you need to weigh a couple of kilograms more to be able to enjoy more meals with your family then it's Mm. probably a trade-off that's worth doing given your like I think it does depend a lot on your values at this time of your life as well if you're someone who's like no I want to get abs and see what I look like with abs cool if you're someone who's like I just want to be a little bit fitter fit into my clothes a little bit better and still be able to enjoy lots of meals with my family that's also just as good a goal and the second part of this question was is BMI accurate and BMI is just a calculation of your height and your weight and and basically if you would fit into an underweight normal weight overweight or obese category and it gets a lot of um stick actually but it's only really inaccurate for people who carry a lot of muscle mass so for the general population it's actually quite an accurate measure of i guess your health in comparison to your weight the two things it doesn't account for are a where that weight is coming from so if that's muscle fat bone whatever bone is pretty standard between us all but if that's muscle or fat basically and but if you look at someone you can normally tell you know if you look at james who i imagine is in the obese category or at least overweight category yeah you can tell that he has a lot of muscle mass whereas if you look at someone the same height and weight as James, but is carrying a lot more body fat, you can probably tell that that's actually quite an accurate representation of their health. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that can impact how accurate BMI is to health is where you store the body fat that you have. Yeah. So if you store more around your middle, that's actually quite bad for cardiovascular disease risk. But if you store more around your bum and your legs, that's actually quite a safe place to store fat. Mm-hmm. So, I would say for most people it is quite accurate, but you do need to, I would say BMI plus a little bit of common sense. Great yeah. Measure. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, I mean, I, is it a good idea for the physique community to go on that kind of indication of, of, uh, body composition? No, it's a pretty stupid idea. Is it a good idea for the gen pop to use that as a guide again with Emma's, you know, sprinkling in of you some common sense? Yeah, fine. Um, you know, but as I said, if, if, if you're really you know the more advanced you become in the in the kind of physique goals arena um yeah the more that you should look to more specific uh forms of measuring uh mass accurately and separately um but yeah i mean but i really again i back to just the original point i just don't think that that should be your indication of when you're healthy i think it should be i don't know i, I think it's just common sense and also yeah you're you're kind of your own opinion of, of your of your body how do you feel and emma amazing point like does it does how you look and feel fit into your life and what you want so aka you can be a size 10 or 12 great but you still get to enjoy dinners with your family every night like it it's it's so subjective to you and i wouldn't i wouldn't get too hung up on specific numbers whether it be bmis or scales mm-hmm. and we're so, certainly not going to say 
oh, this is where you're healthy or this is... I mean, we might give you some indication if it was health-related, but if you're like, I'm really happy being a size 12, a little bit curvy, I'm fit and I'm healthy, but this way I can enjoy some of my favourite dinners every week. Great. It's fantastic, yeah. It's amazing. Okay, this leads on quite nicely to the next question, which we should definitely cover. So it's, it says, I don't understand how to input my body fat into the app. And this is maybe something I should have said previously. I don't know if I have, but we don't want to so say there's many things that you can input into that app and you don't have to put body fat into it, mainly because it's very hard to measure accurately. And you might have fancy scales that are telling you what your body fat level is, but that's not a very accurate measure. It's, and accurate. it's hugely, no. yeah, it's hugely dependent on how hydrated you are. So we, that's one reason why we sort of don't ask for body fat measures is because they're not accurate. Um, and that can put you off if one week it says that you've put on body fat despite losing weight and you're like, oh, what the hell's going on? So yeah, anything to add on body fat? unless you are a pt or are living with a pt who knows how to take your body fat kind of semi-accurately with calipers or you have a badass ultrasound machine and you know how to measure your body fat by using it um you're most probably not going to get an accurate reading of your well you're definitely not going to get an accurate reading of your body fat from anything um there's a million and one ways to measure progress. We talk about all of them. Body fat is ideal. I'm not going to lie. Like it is the best one to go on, but only if you can do it accurately. Um, and yeah, Emma's right. Uh, those fantasy scales, and I don't care if they're at their gym, at the gym, and they're the size of a building, they're not accurate, <laughs> period. Yeah. Um, this question will not be useful to answer on the podcast, but it says, I don't know how to access the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So we should probably um, write that in the group, actually. Although I do post them in the group. Anyway. Uh, yeah, you do post links. Some people, honestly, like, do not understand podcasts in any way, shape, or form. I get I get messages on um, Instagram every day uh, from people asking me how to listen to my podcast. I'm like, they're on Spotify, they're on iTunes, and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I can't help you, babe. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um... I'm just looking if there's anything we really need to answer. Hmm. Oh, okay. Here's someone with a couple of questions. First one, does it matter what order you do the exercises in on the workouts, e.g. Actually, we don't really need the example. So does it matter the order? Are they in that specific order for a reason or can we switch them around? Yes and no. That's really about ability. I do actually really make an effort to, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I really make an effort with my, when I write the workouts and I do make an effort to really pay attention to, uh, what is going to, you know, cause, uh, what's going to be the hardest for you in terms of cardiovascularly, in terms of, um, body strength wise, you know, lactic buildup, all of that stuff. And I do really try and structure them in a way that's going to allow you to give everything a hundred percent apart from squat jumps. Let's be honest. Like at some point, most people will have to slow down because they will wreck you. Um, but I really do try and structure them in a way that will allow you to give it a hundred percent and recover in the right ways 
before the next exercises, if that makes any sense. So I would rather that you did them how I structure them. That being said, at the same time, no, it doesn't matter what order you do them in, because if you can do them in, in you know, a completely higgledy-piggledy way and actually complete the workout and give it 100%, fine i don't care like that means you're pretty strong pretty fit pretty healthy and and you got it and crack on yeah i agree i I mean i'm the same i really think about the workouts that i program so it could be one of two ways i could be doing like it's an upper it's an upper workout or an upper exercise then a lower exercise and an upper then a lower so that you can almost like your upper body is recovering while your lower body works so that you can keep that intensity high or I might do the complete opposite and be like upper, upper, upper because I really want to burn out your upper <laughs> yeah. body and then lower because I really want to burn that out. So I would say that like we would generally prefer you stick to the order because they have been thought out in that manner. But if it's impractical or for some reason you really feel like you want to do them in a different order, it, as long as you get the reps done, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, next part from this. I'm really good with the nutrition side of things during the week. I think this is when I have routine, but at weekends I always really struggle as my routine is a little bit different and we never eat at set times. Do you have any tips on tracking during the weekends? Or actually, sorry, on how to stay on track during the weekends? And the answer could be tracking. (laughs) Well, we've actually addressed pretty much this identical question so make sure you've listened to all the podcasts preceding this um but to to sum it up really quickly um either if you find it super easy to be on track in the week uh lower your calories in the week so you've got more room to play with on the weekend as emma said that would mean tracking um uh another thing is uh as i said before um set, set meal times or not um you know, you set your alarm when you're going to eat, you know, two hours apart, three hours apart, four hours apart, however long, um, and you and you decide, okay, we're going to eat again in three hours time when we'll probably be hungry or whatever, alarm goes off, then you eat, you don't graze. Um, uh, I think those are really the two main answers we gave last time, Emma. Yeah, I think we've covered that even in this podcast with some of the tips. So it's just, I guess it's just about getting in a routine that that suits you for example I just don't snap and that starts <coughs> calories adding up but then yeah and you can just think oh you know maybe do try and plan ahead especially now that we're in lockdown and there's not that much that's going on anyway so if you're like okay it's the weekend we're gonna have a really nice big meal tonight together that maybe means that you don't have as big a breakfast or you're maybe having an amazing brunch that maybe means that you have a smaller dinner just little things like that there's there's no sort of secret tip of how to manage it it's just what works for you and then what you prioritize and what is gonna give you the most joy for the weekend should I tell you something that I've been doing in this quarantine lockdown is that I'm like bang on point Monday through Friday and then I allow myself I still try and have it all really structured out and like hit everything perfectly but I allow myself a little bit more ease on a Saturday and if I do go over or I do you know have an extra glass of rosé or whatever 
then I make sure that on Sunday I've cleaned it up again and I can track into Sunday um, and get back on track. And so it's kind of like I'm still on track on Saturday, but I'm a bit more at ease with it because I'm sandwiching it with a very good Friday and a very calorie conscious Sunday, if that makes sense. That advice can be really helpful to people. But as I keep saying, and I'll always say, we have to be really careful with doing with advice like that because some people will run away with it and some people can get into it is true that you can sandwich a higher calorie intake with being more calorie minded um in the days before and after but then for some people that can lead into a really vicious cycle of over and under eating that never ends um so if you're going to do it you have to see it very much as like a very temporary kind of uh, very conscious um awareness and effort that it's going to be uh, confined to a very short space of time never you know always be aware if you're getting into a cycle of binge restrict binge restrict that that's not good and when my clients have done that in the past what I'll tend to say is like okay as of Monday we're starting from square one we're not over tracking anything we're not under tracking anything we're starting right from the beginning and I'll usually up their calories a bit so they feel a little bit more uh, like they've got a little bit more food freedom than they potentially have had um, so just be aware of psychology is what I would say yeah, and I think a good point to make here as well is that you're not like binge restricting. Your calories are what, maybe 500 to 1,000 yeah. calories more on a Saturday? It's not like you're eating 6,000 calories on Saturday and then eating nothing on Friday and nothing on Sunday. It usually tends to fall under that 500 calorie bracket if it happens at all. So yeah, it's quite yeah, easy. Yeah, so that's like, it's not really a huge amount more calories. No. Okay, great. So I think that's a good end to the podcast and we're creeping on an hour. So we will, um, we will come back and answer the rest of your questions because we've got next week's or this week's to do now. <laughs> I, know. I know, my God. Maybe we need to try and do like a, I don't know, like a powwow session. It's like bam, 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 try and get through all of them. Yeah, I don't we think could. it's going to happen. I know, but I, I mean, I think it's much more useful and enjoyable to sort of pick them apart a little bit. Yeah, me too. I mean, obviously, I love over talking, so <laughs> I'm loving it. And so do I, which is why <laughs> we never get finished. No, I think you're way more succinct than I am. Way more. Well, thank you. Thank sure, you. Babe. Right. So we will probably catch up with everyone later in the week. Yeah. See you later.